Hey, this is Jim Callis from MLB Pipeline. You're listening to Friars on the Farm podcast. Welcome to Friars on the Farm podcast. I'm Donovan, and to my left is Roy. Hello, everyone. And today we are joined by MLB Pipeline's Jim. Jim, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm feeling much better now that our top 100 list and all of our team top 30 lists have been updated and it's uh just kind of enjoying the trade deadline nice and nice and casual so far it's it's been a mess i've been emotionally a wreck all day at work Uh, i'm sure most of padres twitter has been a wreck oh i made the mistake of turning on twitter (laughs) notifications for some national writers like ken rosenthal and and john morosi and those guys and so now my phone's just like i'm always checking my notifications it's so bad yeah, well, there hasn't been much that's happened happened yet, so it's uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I guess we got what about twenty one hours while we're recording this. Yeah. So is this a busier time of year, or like right after the draft? I know you do a really good job of staying on top of who's signed. Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny our schedule. Like, and I don't know why it works out like this. We feel like it feels like we're really busy working on one major project or another, pretty much from January through about now. You know, starting with our original top 100 and all the team top 30s then we go to spring training then we're, we're working on the draft before spring training's over and the draft takes up a couple months and then when the draft's over you know I mean the signings start right away and we're obviously covering the minor leagues and updating our list as guys graduate or get traded and then you know this year John between Jonathan Mayo and myself we spent three weeks at the PDP program the new league that MLB and, and USA Baseball start for the top high school guys and then it's Futures game, and I went to the AAA All-Star game, and then it's revamping our current list, and now the, the trade deadline's been a little bit more relaxing. And then after that, like, there, there's nothing, you know, probably our next big project will be the draft top 50, which isn't even that difficult in right. November, and we'll have theirs on Folly before <laughs> then. But yeah, it's kind of smooth sailing for five months after feeling like nonstop for about seven. Well, hey... I- before we get started, and this isn't on the list that I sent you, but I'd like to get a little get a little, uh, get to know a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? What team did you follow? Who were some of your favorite players growing up? Yeah, yeah, I, I grew up in, in the Northern Virginia area. We didn't have a team when I was growing up. The Orioles were the closest team. They're probably an hour and a half away. And you know, back in those days, there was no watch baseball on your phone or anything right. like that. Yeah, you know, we got Orioles games, and then you got game of the week and maybe Monday night baseball. But it was. It was all Orioles games, and my grandparents had a place on Cape Cod, so I, I guess I grew up watching the Red Sox and was a Red Sox fan. They, they were my team growing up. Did you watch any Cape Cod League uh, action when you were a kid? <laughs> you know what's crazy is no, and I don't I don't know why. Like my my grandparents knew I was a big baseball fan, and it was all right there. Like they, their place was in Centerville, which is right next to Hyannis, and all the Cape towns are pretty close to each other. I remember reading about the Cape Cod League in the in the Cape Cod Times growing up, but for some reason we never we never went to a game. Like so, it's it's odd. I've I've gone since then, you know, professionally, yeah. but never when I was a kid, which is kind of at a loss to explain why. <laughs> yeah, I went to college at Oregon State, and they have uh, there's a summer league. The Corvallis Knights play there in Corvallis, and so after I graduated, I was drifting for a couple months looking for a job, and I knew that they were playing in town, but I never went to any games. And looking back, I kind of wish that I did. Yeah, it's just weird. Well, oh. so you just came out with the top 100 prospects list. Um, kind of, what are the what are the parameters that go into that? Do you factor in guys where they what league they play in, or where they're hitting, and what league they're playing? 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot that, that that's going on. Um, I mean, you're looking at you're looking at their performance. You're, I mean, I'm not. We don't run it through like any kind of like algorithm or spreadsheet. But yeah, I mean, you have to be aware of where guys are playing. I mean, the the balls are, you know, they're using the major league balls in AAA. So AAA numbers are out of whack with the rest of the minor leagues this year. Um, you know, just with the Padres system in particular, you know, the Midwest League is probably the hardest place to hit in the minor leagues, hardest league uh, on one end in low A. And then on the other end, you have El Paso where the ball flies and using major league balls. So, I mean, you have to take all that into consideration and we'll look at, I mean, yeah, we look at performance and you look at performance relative to league for the age, you know, if a guy's young or old for his league, you factor that in. And, but you also have to factor in the tools, you know, we're not, I mean, we're not just going to get seduced by some guy who's tearing the, you know, cover off the ball at, at, at El Paso and run away on the Padres list because of that. Or, or, you know, you have to kind of take into account for the pitchers, too, yeah. that, like, look, Logan Allen, you know, it's kind of an extreme situation he's dealing with. You can't just look at his numbers and go, oh, why, you know, th- those aren't dominant, so we're going to punish him, you know, right. severely. Um, and, you know, and, and pedigree, you know, matters to some degree. I mean, you're just going to have a greater degree of trust if a guy, you know, I mean, he's going to be high on the list anyway. But, like, if there was a guy doing what Mackenzie Gore is doing – Maybe he's a bad example because he's dominating, but he was like an eighth round pick. You'd be a little bit more hesitant, and, you know. Yeah. And plus, you know, besides looking at all that stuff, I and mean, we talked to a lot of people too. So, I mean, that, that's a big part of it is talking to scouts. What are they seeing? So, th- there's a lot of factors that go into it, and I mean, there is, I mean, some gut feel component. You know, in the end, you know, when you're lining up a hundred guys in order or thirty Padres in order or whatever, I mean, you, you, you know, sometimes you're comparing a triple a catcher to a low class a pitcher and, and you know you're, there's no real way to compare apples to oranges there you kind of have to you know go with what people are telling you what you've seen yeah so you mentioned the triple a ball and uh the numbers are like they're hitting on the moon this year uh, ty france is having a crazy year josh naylor was going bananas and even a couple of years ago you had guys like uh carlos Aswahe and austin hedges posting high numbers how do you how do you measure that against the other leagues um how do you account for for the environment those guys are hitting in yeah i mean there's there's not like a specific translation where we try to take you know the ballpark factor out of it you just kind of have to look at that and know like like we obviously like luis urias you know i'm not still not convinced luis urias is going to be this 35 home run guy that he that he is in triple a like that's not his game i mean he does have some deceptive strength you know, and then again, I mean, people say, well, they're going to use that ball in the big leagues too. And you're right. I mean, they will. But it's just I was talking to um, – I was, I was doing, I've been doing a lot of Blue Jays stuff the last couple of days, like interviews because of the trade, the Stroman trade. Yeah. And like a lot of the Toronto guys are asking me like, what's going on with Anthony Kay? He's getting crushed in AAA. And I, and, I, and I told him, I said, you know, you have to account for that this year, this first time they're using major league balls in AAA. And it's a, it's a markedly different ball. And that adjustment from going double A, triple A isn't what it used to be. Like, he's using a totally different baseball that, yeah. I mean, I keep using the analogy, it's basically like a rock with seams painted on right. it. Like, and you can't <laughs> spin the ball, and it's a lot harder, and it travels a lot farther, and it's going to take some time to adjust. So you just, you kind of take that into account. Now, you know, like with Urias, you know, like in uh, Ty France, I think Ty France still qualifies for our list. I don't think he's graduated off our list. No, like with Urias, like, again, I mean, he was already high on the list. And we know he can hit. We know what kind of player he is. So you kind of take it with a grain of salt. Like, you know, Ty France is on our list, but we're not. I mean, Ty France, when I was at the AAA All-Star game, I think Ty has like a 1,200-plus ops in AAA. And, 
you know, like Jordan Alvarez was pretty much the only other guy in the league having the year he did. Now, you're not, you're not just going to say, oh, Ty France and Jordan Alvarez are the same thing because it's the same league and they're putting up the same numbers. You, you kind of have to – I mean, I know you guys do too. You know, you look at the fact that, like, look, you know, Ty France, you know, obviously better than your typical 34th-round pick, but he was a 34th-round pick. Yeah. And he's never hit like this until he got to AAA in that ballpark with those balls. So you kind of have to factor that in a little bit and, and, and take some of the air out of those stats. Well, go ahead. So C.J. Abrams, um, he's dominating the AZL, but we've learned not to scout the stat lines. So you look right. on there, and he's posting an OPS of, you know, like you say, 1,200 that Ty France is doing. Um, I, I guess it's the same kind of question, but how do you evaluate what that guy's doing? Is it clear that he's just above his, his competition level, or do you look at the things that he's struggling with? Well, I mean, I'd say for most guys, like in their debuts, I try not to read too much into the stats because it's a small sample size. And, you know, I, I, I've done this long enough that, like, I'm not going to let even, like, short season ball stats markedly change my impression of a guy. You know, I mean, I'll talk to people, too. I mean, you know, if, if CJ was hitting 305 instead of 405 and had an 800 ops instead of an 1100 ops, <laughs> he'd, still, he'd still be in my mind the same guy he was coming out of the draft because he's, he, he's just not that many games. Like, you're happy to see it. You'd obviously want your guys to do well. But honestly, if he was hitting 205, unless you know his strikeout rate was like 38 percent or something, where you're like, oh man, like he's like not making any contact. If he was hitting 205, it really wouldn't bother me either. I mean, I remember my, I guess it was my second full year at Baseball America was when the Braves took Chipper Jones number one. Everybody was like, how you know how can they not take Todd Van Poppel? And um, Chipper hit like 205 in the Gulf Coast League. And, I mean, it's weird. I mean, there was much less media. There was no Twitter, no Internet. But still, there was like, oh, did they take the wrong guy? What's, what's going on? It's, it's the Gulf Coast League. And the next year, he tore it up at Macon. You know, I don't think yeah. Jeter was that great in the Gulf Coast League either. So um, I, don't, I don't worry too much about those numbers. I mean, again, if you're like, – I'm sure the Potters will get the same way. Like, they just kind of want to get him acclimated to pro ball. But you're happy that he's tearing it up to that extent. It's reinforcing the things you saw as an amateur – but yeah, this guy, you know, was one of the better high school hitters, uh, you know, in the draft, and, and his speed, you know, it, it's game changing speed, and you know, I, I mean, he's not going to keep slugging six fifty six, but you know, there, there was you know some talk that he had some deceptive power. You know, he got some D Gordon comparisons, but a lot stronger version of D Gordon. So okay. I, I think you know, just looking at the, looking at what he's done, it just reinforces why this guy went where he did. So is he considered kind of the same guy that they thought coming out of the draft, or has he opened some eyes that maybe the Padres were onto something that people had missed? No, I mean, I don't think he's – I mean, the sheer numbers, yeah, you weren't expecting him to hit 400, but I don't think anybody's looking at him any differently. And, you know, the, the Padres – I mean, I was joking with the Padres guys I talked to before draft. It's like, you guys have the easiest pick in the whole draft. There's like six guys everybody thinks are, are going to go one through six – and you guys are just gonna get whichever one's left over, and that's what they did. Um, so I, I don't think, um, you know, I, I don't think. I mean, he certainly wasn't a reach, or that you know, they they took a guy who people thought were going lower. I mean, he went exactly, I think, where people thought he was gonna go in the draft. I mean, you know, in the last couple of days, I think we all had him going six to the Padres. So I, I don't think he's done anything radically different. Now, if he, let's say, went to A ball next year in the Midwest League and hit three seventy. Then all of a sudden, I think at that point you'd start to say, you know, or three even 370, let's say the first couple of season, like, hey, this guy's bat might be even better than I thought. But, like, it's just it's a small sample size, yeah. and, you know, you're glad to see it. I, I just wouldn't read too much into it. Because, like I said, 
I really like C.J. Abrams. I, I, he's not going to keep slugging 650 as he rises through the minors. Well, that, so we've been hearing that he could stick it short. Uh, with Tatis there, do you think uh, – could he end up in the outfield or what's kind of, kind of what's the advantages of keeping him at short? Well, you keep him at short for now because you never know what's going to happen. Um, I mean, I don't think Tatis is going anywhere. Um, and I don't think there's any reason to think Tatis can't play short. But let's say, you know, the, the Potters are obviously going to be contending here the next year or two. And let's say C.J. Abrams is ready, you know, toward the end of 2022. And heaven forbid, Fernando Tatis breaks his wrist. Right. And you need a shortstop going down the stretch and in the playoffs. Well, C.J. Abrams can play short. So you typically aren't going to move a guy until it gets close, like maybe – you know, he gets to AAA and Tatis is, you know, a superstar short. Then it's like, okay, because you don't want the guy – you don't want to do what the Mets did with Greg Jeffries year, years ago and make the guy learn a new position on the fly in the big leagues, especially if it's like, say, second base, although you would think that would be Urias and unless he gets traded for Noah Syndergaard the next 24 hours. <laughs> um, you know, that was the question with CJ was he's not he's – he's a tremendous athlete and he's very quick. He's not the most fluid infielder. So can he be a shortstop? You're going to find out. And if he's not, can he play second? And if not, can he play center? I think the yeah. bat and, and the offensive game will profile anywhere. And the other thing is, too, again, I mean, the Padres, not all these guys, there's not going to be room for all these guys at the big league level. I mean, yeah. they're very, very well could be that, you know, you have Machado, Tatis, Urias as your, your third, short, second. And you know, who knows what happens in center field between now and then. You know, maybe C.J. Abrams becomes trade bait, and he's more valuable if he, if he plays shortstop. So you just keep him at shortstop for a while. I wouldn't think they'd move him off shortstop for, for at least a couple of years. Yeah, we don't usually uh, make guys tr- uh, you know, move around positions until they're in the major leagues and established and assigned to like a four-year deal. <laughs> That's <laughs> when we move guys around. What, like Will Myers? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Luis Patino has been climbing steadily up that prospects 100 list. And after his futures performance, uh, which almost made me run through a wall, um, he's on everyone's radar now. What are the expectations for him for you guys? They're pretty high. You know, it's funny. I, I had not really heard of Luis until kind of midway through last year. I mean, I, I don't do our Potters list, so I, I don't dig as deep on these guys because I'm not talking about guys in rookie ball. And, and he put up, you know, spectacular numbers in Midwest League. I talked to a scout who, who admittedly said he did not see the entire minor leagues. Yeah, you know, he, he, he has qualified. But he said, I saw him in the fall league, and he said, Luis Patino was the best pitcher he saw in the minor leagues last year anywhere. Best stuff he saw, anyone. Wow. And, and you know, now great. And remember, Forrest Whitley and Nate Pearson were in the fall league. So he saw those guys too. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you, you know, the, the Futures game was fun. And, and you know, I, we were joking afterward that Sam Huff didn't deserve just to be MVP because of the home run. <laughs> but, like, if it wasn't for Sam Huff, we wouldn't have seen Patino. I yeah. guess he wouldn't have pitched. Yeah. Like, That's a good if point. Both <laughs> at the bottom of the seventh. Don't get me started on why they're doing seven in game because I don't think that made any sense. But Patino uh-huh. was, I mean his his performance was awesome. I mean he was walking off the mound before Joe Adele like swung through his like ninety eight mile an hour fastball, whatever it was. And I mean he was like he did not look you know for a kid who's nineteen years old. You know I'm sure he probably pitched in a big league park. You know maybe in that Rangers Padres you know Don Welke Classic, but not in front of that many people. He wasn't phased. I, I talked to him a little bit in spring training. Just very impressed with him, and it, it, it's kind of fun. Like he and Mackenzie Gore are kind of like the odd couple, you know, lefty righty. Yeah. And yeah. and Patino says, you know, Gore helps him with his English, and Gore says Patino helps him with his Spanish, and they sit there and have a friendly rivalry. You know, they they've been together for most of their minor league careers. They work with each other's pitches. You know, guy will come in 
you know, for me, hey, what'd you see that inning? You know, well, you know it's, I, I think that's going to be really fun to watch. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty crazy. A year ago at this time, we were just starting to hear about Luis Patino. I mean, you guys probably heard of him. And now, I mean, he's, you know, up to number 33 on our top 100 prospects list. Um, he's, it's, it's, I mean, you guys know this. I mean, the, the Potter system is just very, very exciting. I mean, it just seems like every time you turn around, here comes another guy. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you've got a chance to spend some time around him because the the personality, the charisma that he has, uh, it, it's kind of uh, I mean, we you fall in love with him after you spend a few minutes with yeah. him. He's got just such this personality that comes out. So it's hard to root against the kid on top of all the the skills that he has. Well, you know, and, and one of the things that uh, the pitching coach for uh, Lake Elsinore. Zamora, Pete Zamora told us, like, we see these guys pitching A ball and we're like, oh my God, put them in the rotation next year. This happened with Adrian Morajone. This happened with Michelle Baez. And then, you know, they go up to double, though they move up a level and then it's like, woof, whoa, what happened? Like, you know, Baez got injured. But Patino, he, in the beginning of this season, he struggled a little bit. Uh, you know, Mac just dominated and he struggled and it took a little bit of an adjustment uh, and a little maturity on his point on this part to uh, to make the adjustments now he's just he's incredible well we, but max struggled he he got lit up for a game in, yeah which he did not happen in the california league yeah i mean just for one game i mean you know the thing number two patina's only 19 and he's really only been a full-time pitcher for three or four years yeah. too so like i mean he's he's way ahead of the curve i mean again i mean i i with you guys i get excited and you're like oh man let's let's put this guy in the big leagues i mean <laughs> I mean, but really, with Patino, I mean, all, I mean, it's not just a simple fix, but like all he really needs is consistency. I mean, yeah. the, the stuff is definitely there. Yeah. It's just throwing more consistent strikes, and I mean, the guy's only 19 years old, uh, so it's it's pretty exciting. Oh, when Donovan's talked to Pete Zamora and to um, the manager, uh, Tony Tarasco, Tony Tarasco, uh, they've pointed out that there have been some things like sequencing wise and just like preparation that he's learning so much right now. Yeah. You see him on the on the mound. You see the stuff, but there's a lot more that goes into it beyond the stuff. Anyway, so keep it moving. Um, so we're glad to see that MLB Pipeline is on the Xavier Edwards train. Um, it, it, you guys aren't worried about the lack of power that we've seen so far. Um, well, I mean, again, you have to remember this guy's 19 years old. Um, I don't think he's going to be a big power hitter, but you know, he's also spent most of the season in Midwest League, which is not a very good place to hit now. Mm. I mean, granted, you know, he's got, I think, one homer in 95 games. His isolated power is about 70 right now. I, I don't think he's ever going to be a big power hitter. Like, like that's just not what he's going to be. But I do think he's going to be the type of guy who, you know, won't be a big home run hitter, but I think he'll get you plenty of doubles. Like, I think he can knock some balls in the gaps. And he runs so well. You know, I think it's going to, you know, what will be like a flare single for some guys might be a double for him. So, you know, I mean, the power is going to be his worst tool, but I think you're looking at a – at a high average, you know, I mean, his tool package is not dissimilar from C.J. Abrams. I, I think C.J.'s got more um, power to him. Like, I don't think C.J.'s going to be like a, a 25 home run guy. I think C.J. will probably be like a 12 to 15 guy, and okay. I don't think Xavier's got quite that much power. Um, and then I think Xavier's more of a fluid infielder, but C.J.'s got a better arm. But, you know, when we were talking about, you know, guys who could, like – they could, they could both really run. I mean, they're both well above average runners. And, and like, my least favorite profile or prospect, I think, is a guy who can run and not do anything else, you know, like, like Billy Hamilton. And I like Billy yeah. Hamilton coming up. Like, yeah, it's just those guys, like, unless you're Juan Pierre, who's the exception to the rule, those guys usually don't have very good careers. Like, because they've, they, they, they don't hit, there's no pop to them. 
you know, Billy's a good defensive player too, but like right. just offensively, if all you can do is run, then that's a very tough offensive profile. And what I like about CJ and, and Xavier is these guys are both advanced hitters and they both control the strike zone and make a lot of contact. So it's not just, hey, I'm slapping the ball on the ground. You know, I mean, I think with Xavier, you're probably looking at a like a, a 280, 300. You know, maybe it's only five homers, but it's probably 30 doubles and maybe 70 walks. Good on base guy. You can really run. You know, Again, the question is when you plot all these guys out, where's he going to play? Like right. we're already right. saying, like where's C.J. Abrams going to play? Because we got Machado, Tatis, <laughs> Urias. Okay, so C.J.'s going to the outfield. Well, where's yeah. Avery going to go? Like it's, it's good problems to have, but like you know, so you know, I'm not really concerned about that. I mean, do you wish he had more power? Yes, but I think he does enough other things that's not going to handicap it. He's not going to be one of these guys who hits like a soft 260 with no walks and and, and just no pop. Well, my question is, you know, with the evolution of the Major League game, is there a place on the roster? Is there is there a place for him in Major League Baseball being so small, not having the power? You know, everyone seems in Major League Baseball, I'll be, you know, Jose Altuve is 6'2", 6'1", you know, hitting 25 bombs, and it's sec- playing second base. It's just, is is the game changed that much where there's maybe not a place for him? Or No, I think there will be. I mean, you know, let's say he's a 370 on base guy. Like, the, like there's definitely a place for that. And he can definitely play defense and he can run. You know, I mean, the thing is, too, again, remember he's 19 years old. Yeah. Like, he's not going to be, you know, he's not going to grow four inches and put on 50 pounds. But he might wind up being, you know, maybe he's 5'10", 185, 190. And, you know, I, I just think if you can get him to, say, 10 home runs, um, you know, with, with 30-something doubles and a healthy amount of walks, and that's going to be a good offensive player. I mean, but you're right. I mean, it is a question. I mean, we ask ourselves the same question kind of with – I do our White Sox list, and I, I struggle with Nick Madrigal a little bit. You know, I know you're an Oregon State guy. But, um, like, what exactly is he – he's such an – I think his strikeout rate this year is something like 5%, and that might be on the high end. It might not even be 5%. Wow. But, like, if Nick Madrigal hits 300 but with no power, like – how much – I mean, there, there's a place for him in the big leagues. He's probably an everyday guy, but how much of an impact he is. So I, I think that question remains with Xavier, but I'd, I'd also, like, you know, caution. He's 19 years old. And, you know, the thing is, too, guys can change. I mean, I do think the guys who are the gifted hitters, maybe, you know, he, he trades a little average, and instead of being a 305 home run guy, maybe he's a 280, 10-homer guy. Okay. You, know, you know, he still can kind of adapt and, and change. And I do think – He's a gifted enough hitter, and he's got bat-to-ball skills that I know it's not as simple as just saying, okay, right now we have him as a 55 hitter, 40 power. Like, I know it's not just like, okay, well, I'll be 50 hitter, 45 power. You can't just, you know, move five points, you know, the scouting right. scale one or the other. But I do think the guys who are really gifted hitters can make adjustments. So, well, I, I, I'll be, I, don't think he's, he's, I don't think he's anywhere close to a finished product, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So uh, Xavier Edwards, he just moved up to the California League, but before that he was sharing the middle infield with a guy named Tucupita Marcano, who has kind of a similar profile as a, you know, a lot of bat control, a good strike zone recognition, um, and a really good athlete. Have you guys had a, a good look at him, and how does he, is there much of a drop-off, do you think, between Xavier and Tucupita? A different kind of player. I think he, you know, I think they're both good hitters. He's, you know, not. I think he's actually might be listed lighter than than um, Xavier, but he has a little bit more pop to him, not as much speed. You know, it's funny. Um, I had a guy in the Padres organization tell me, like, he thought he was the most unheralded guy in the system coming into this year. And yeah, I mean, he's in two seventy eight in the Midwest League at age nineteen, and that's really hard to do. I, I think he's gonna have some pop, and 
I mean, you got all these middle infielders. I mean, you got Owen Miller too, you know, who went to Double A this year out of the draft. And I know he's a college guy, but not too many guys go to Double A out of the draft. And he's probably gonna wind up hitting close to. 300 with 30 doubles and 15 homers playing up the middle. So, I mean, it's just everywhere you look, there's, you know, more infield, you know, and then you got Gabriel Arias and Asturi Ruiz, you know, you go on and on. There's, there's just everywhere. So, Well, we could listen to you talk about that all day. Hey, you know, and we, we can go right <laughs> with you on all those guys as well. So, why didn't – Luis Capistano was having just a fantastic year, and he was basically a defensive first catcher, and he's just blowing it up in high A. Uh, we know it's a hitter's league there, but why didn't he even crack the top 100? Well, I, I always tell people, too, the thing, like, people only see the 100 guys who make the list. Right. Like, you don't see, and, and you, for the most part, I mean, there's exceptions. If we if we had a, a list, if we went 125 deep and only showed you the top 100, the difference between the guy who's number 75 on that list and the guy who's number 125 on that list is, is negligible. It's kind of apples to oranges. Depends on what you prefer. You know, what do you like, you know, and, and so I guess what I'm saying is he could have been on the list and like, there's no like, oh, you almost made it. Like you either make it or you don't. So you don't see Luis Camposano at number, I'm making this up because we didn't officially rank them, but like at 106, he just, he just didn't make the list. But you know, even if you talk to teams, you know, if I got four pro scouting directors on the phone right now, and again, it's more, you know, kind of vague when you're like, oh, so-and-so belong on the top 100 list. But if you if you were to show them a list, you probably have guys say, oh, you should get you know guys who might say Luis Capsano should be on that list. Our guys would be like, ah, you know he can wait. Let's see what he does in Double A because he didn't hit like this in Low A. Although it's Midwest League Cal League, which are two entirely different hitting environments. And the thing that, that's really positive that I think you like is, I mean, not much swing and miss to his game. So even if he is getting a boost from the Cal League a little bit, it's very good. It, it, he's young for the league and he's making consistent contact. So. I don't think he's too far away from the list. You know, well, and the defense is legit too, yeah. from what I hear. Everybody seems impressed with how where he's at defensively at his age. Yeah, I mean, I think the receiving still needs to be cleaned up a little bit, but um, but he's made strides. And, and it's funny, there was a guy with, with Padres who texted me um, and said, "Hey, what does Luis Camposano have to do to make your guys top 100s?" <laughs> you know, the Padres asked us the same question. <laughs> well, good. We, we good. We're defending our boy Luis. I mean, we want the top 100 to be all you know, 100 Padres prospects, ideally. But you know, got We got to give. We had ten on there at one point, I think. So we got to leave a little bit of room for the other guys. Well, that, that's a question we actually just passed right on over. You know, looks like due to graduations and some players taking steps back, um, we are no longer the number one rated minor league system in uh, Major League Baseball. Yeah, we have not updated our rankings. That's like on our agenda. Like we'll have our new rankings out next week, and I can't even give you a sneak preview because we haven't started. Because there's not, we just figured let's wait till the the trade deadline comes and goes in case guys get moved around. Like rather than trying to adjust if we rank all the farm systems and then three or four guys get you know significant guys get traded. But yeah, I mean I'd say they probably aren't number one, but. They're probably pretty close. I mean, I think they're still getting pretty close. I mean, they've got seven top 100 guys. Yeah. Guys like, you know, Camposano and Weathers and Baez. And, I mean, you got a bunch of guys knocking on the door, too. And it's still an incredibly deep system. So, like, I can't tell you because I haven't figured out my mind where I think they, they are exactly. But they're, they're still pretty high. I mean, and, and the thing is, to be honest, you probably, if you're a fan of a team, you probably don't want to be ranked the number one farm system for a long, long time, <laughs> that means you guys aren't into the big leagues. You know, yeah. I mean, because yeah. I mean, 
outside the Braves, who when they, the Braves not only had that crazy streak of win all those division titles, most of Baseball America they ranked in the top ten of the farm system rankings every year, like for it was like fifteen years in a row or whatever it was, which was nobody else was even close to that. It's just hard to do because you're either graduating talent to the big leagues, or if you then roadblock the talent, you're trading it. Like you, you just don't stay at the top. But um, I was just trying to look here real quick. Like we have this. We're this third. isn't how systems. We have this unofficial. What we call prospect points system, yeah. where the number one prospect, Wander Franco, gets 100 points, and so on down to number 100 on the list gets one point. And the Padres were still third behind the Rays and the White Sox. My, my guess is the Rays might be number one. And again, I mean, we do more than just look at these things, but the, but the Rays tied the Padres with seven top 100 prospects. That was the most. Nobody was more than five. And then the Rays had 393 prospect points. The White Sox had 391. And the Padres had 340. I mean, the Padres very well could be, you know, number two on this list. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they've fallen too far from number one because the White Sox have more prospect points, but the Padres have a much deeper system. Um, so I, I think you could see the Padres. And again, I haven't even tried to line them up yet. You know, you, know, you got to hold on to Luis Urias. If you trade him for Syndergaard, then it changes the equation a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but, but uh, he's going to graduate soon. He's going to graduate. That too. That too. <laughs> but then Tucupino yeah, Marcano is going to move in. These are a snapshot in time. You know, these things are a snapshot in time. Yeah. You know, when you do, you know, at the beginning of the year, obviously Tatis and Paddock were, were two guys who really boosted it. Well, uh, you know, again, I, I don't think they're going to rank much lower than one. They probably won't be one. My guess is it'll be the Rays, but they probably won't rank too much lower than one. Well, I appreciate you backpedaling on that. Um, you know, maybe there's a little something that just kind of popped in my mind, kind of like maybe Padres prospect fatigue. You know, people are just tired of hearing about all these guys, and then they're just like, oh, let's give someone else a chance on the swing, you know, for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but we're tired of hearing about Yankees this. God, Boston that. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're I don't glad. know if there's prospect fatigue with farm systems. I mean, the thing is with these things, you can't stay ranked high. You have to keep bringing in new talent. Yeah. You know, if you yeah. weren't bringing in, you know, if Elise Patino wasn't emerging and C.G. Abrams doesn't come in and Xavier Edwards doesn't take a big step forward in his first full year and, and on and on and on. You know, Munoz, you know, makes a big jump. And Capsano makes a jump. And all those things – like you aren't, it's just impossible to stay ranked that high. So the fact that they're, they're ranking high, it's like we're talking about new guys, like you know, Tukapito Marcano and Owen Miller. Like we weren't yeah. talking about those last year because they were like buried so far down the list. Well, I'd like to think that that's a testament to the player development folks that they're doing the right things to help these guys make those leaps. Yeah, it is because, and I think anybody will tell you it, it's not one or the other. But I, mean, I think they're doing a really nice job scouting. They're getting players through the draft, through international through trades, and they're developing them well, too. I mean, I mean, granted, Tatis is kind of like a – that. what happened with him doesn't happen very often, but, like, he was just a guy they liked, and then he, like, physically matured, like, almost overnight when they got him and, and took off. And, you know, they've yeah. they've helped a lot of guys get better. You know, Patino, you know, Patino hadn't really pitched that much, and they've handled him really nicely. I just think they do a really nice job in all facets. Well, and if you know the, real quick the story on Luis, Patino was – they drafted, he was like an afterthought at the end of the day, threw a bullpen. They liked him. He threw about 85. He came here to the Puyork uh, Sports Complex and worked with the trainers and got nutrition. And his fastball ticked up 10 miles within the, within a season, within within off season. Yeah. And he just blew up. And having that young arm is great. One more guy. Actually, we'll put this guy on, and then we'll start talking about the, the top 30. Uh, Joey Cantillo. Get him on your, yeah, ra- I mean, I, get him on your radar now. Yeah. We we weren't talking about this guy like at all like last year. What's he? I think a 16th round pick, you know, out of high school. I mean, he had a nice 
you know, year last year in rookie ball. But again, it's rookie ball. A lot of guys put up big numbers. And I mean, what's he averaging? It seems like about 12 strikeouts per nine innings. And he's yeah. got a five to one strikeout to walk ratio. Um, you know, our reports on his stuff aren't like over the top. It's it's more seems like it's like kind of like a effective four pitch mix. I mean, are you guys hearing better yeah. stuff than that? It seems like this guy's just more of a a craftsman right now than a, a big stuff guy. Right, and I think that's kind of what happens in in a ball is if you can throw a good curveball and you can throw a good changeup and you know a, a ninety mile an hour fastball, that ninety looks ninety eight when you're throwing curveballs and all speed stuff. But he is adding a little bit of velocity because at the last year he was sitting in the high eighties. Earlier this year he was low nineties. Now he's touching ninety four. So it's not like you know Mackenzie Gore dominant high nineties stuff, but he's got four pitches that he commands. And it seems like he has a pretty good idea of what he's doing to attack hitters right now. I guess he's in single A, so what happens when he moves up to advanced A and then to double A where the hitters are more advanced yeah. and they can stay a step ahead? Yeah, like he's like a guy I was talking about before that you you, you, know, you move him up the list, you put him on the list because he's having a nice year and he's doing it in full season ball. But you know, you're right. If you could command multiple pitches at the low class A level and throw them for strikes, you usually can do pretty well because a lot of guys haven't seen – Pitchers who can land breaking balls for strikes or or have a real good changeup, they can put where they want. Um, but at the same time, okay, like you know, while we give Joey credit, it's a great year. You know, kind of hedging our bets a little bit. Let's see what you do when you get to the Cal League, which yeah. is a totally different animal. Let's see what happens in Double A. But like a great success story so far this year. Absolutely. So let's move on to the top thirty. Uh, you got a couple of J two signings here that you know we've done this for a couple of years now. We not heard of Reginald. Paciado, Preciado, or Ismael Minya. We know nothing about those guys. Can you fill us in? Oh, yeah. I'll admit, like, well, because we don't, I, I don't do much internationally. So I don't, I, I know what Jesse Sanchez writes about him for us. Um, so it's not like I've talked to guys firsthand about these people, about, about Preciado and about Minya. But I mean, you know, Preciado sounds like he's got a chance. You know, he's 6'4, 180. Um, you know, he's an average runner now, so I'm guessing that you're going to project him to fill out and probably move to a different position, although he has really nice actions. It's short and, and a quick first step. I mean, you're talking about a guy, I mean, he's only 16, so he's years away. But, you know, this guy could wind up being, you know, maybe it's solid tools across the board. You know, again, he's 6'4", you know, maybe he winds up being 6'4", 225, and you get a, a power-hitting third baseman out of him. I mean, he sounds pretty interesting, and... And Mania is more of, uh, you know, I know we had some comparisons to a young Gregory Polanco. He can really run and throw and really play, you know, very good uh, uh, defense in center field. And, you know, he's got some offensive capabilities. I mean, he's 6'3 and, and very projectable. Um, and he puts the barrel on the ball a lot. You know, I think it's too early to know, is he going to be hit over power, power over hit? But, I mean, I guess with both those guys, what, what jumps out is they both seem like they're really well-rounded guys. So one thing that's kind of captivated my interest a little bit lately, I understand with the international guys, oftentimes these agreements are arranged years in advance. So yes. so everybody gets to look at them when they're like 14 years old, but then once there's like this handshake agreement between the trainer and the team, you don't see them in showcases. You don't see them playing in games. They're really just you know on the lots training. Um, right. How does that affect your guys' ability to, to try to fit these guys in with the ranking systems? Yeah, I mean, we try not to go too crazy over them. I mean, you know, when you're when you're ranking guys, I mean, you're balancing upside versus certainty and risk versus you know ceiling versus floor. 
you know, guys who are close to the big leagues, guys who are further away. Uh, we, I think we try to be conservative and not – I mean, you can't rank these guys based on what their ceiling is because they're so far away from their ceiling. You really have to kind of tone it down. So, again, I mean, that's one where – I mean, honestly, you, you're ranking 16-year-old kids who've never played any kind of good competition in games for the most part. And you haven't even had a look at them for a couple of years, right? Yeah, but, I mean, you, scouts saw them. I mean, yeah, I mean, you you have to – you're taking it on faith. But, yeah, is it is it easy? No, and that's why we're not going crazy over them. On the other hand, like this was the first time we ever ranked a, a, a current July 2 guy on the top 100. But I had scouts tell me that Jason Dominguez, who the Yankees signed, was like one of the best uh, international tools they've ever seen in a kid that age. I mean, you know, he's a guy who – who gets compared to Bo Jackson and Mickey Mantle wow, and Mike Trout? Wow. Like it's crazy. Now, granted, you know, if, I mean, he's 16, so like we put him at 72 in the top 100, and like we've never ranked a guy like that on the top 100 before. But you know, if he struggles in the Gulf Coast League next year, then we got to reel him back in a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, it's. I mean, it, I, I guess on those guys, you're basically trying to make educated guesses and, and not go too crazy as to what you do with them. You know, I got a little ahead of ourselves. I'm going to give you uh, the floor to just uh, just riff on Mackenzie Gore for us, would you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've done that a few times, but uh, no, I mean it's. I mean, he's basically showing this year. Uh, I, I think you know. I mean, I said I would have taken number one overall in 2017. I've said that a million times, and you know, last year with the blisters. You know, he just never, I don't think, was, was 100% too much of the season. I mean, he still had a decent year, but it wasn't, like, a great year. And, and now we're seeing, you know, and he, he's not worried, you know, not bothered by the blisters. I mean, just the command. I mean, you don't see too many 20-year-olds in double-A, um, you know, throwing strikes. I mean, even the game he got knocked around a little bit, he, he still threw a bunch of strikes. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I do think it'll be interesting. You know, because of the blisters last year, he didn't pitch a ton. So, like, I got to think he's... They're going to cap his innings, what, somewhere around 110, wouldn't you think? Probably 110, Probably 125. One. I think he's got maybe five more starts left, and he's hitting that yeah, area. And then, but, I mean, if he keeps up at this rate, and they're contending next year, he's going to be ready for San Diego by the end of the year. So um, it'll be interesting. Like it, it, you know, they're, they're kind of facing this with – I mean, Patino is a year younger, but like you get these young pitching prospects, and you're trying to bring them along so carefully and not put too many innings on their arms. But, like – I think it's going to have, they're going to have a hard time holding McKenzie back next year. And, and they may have a hard time holding Patino maybe in double-A next year, tearing it up. So um, it, it's just been fun to watch. I mean, I got some good nature. Like, hey, your guy didn't really, you know, tear it up too much, you know. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> um, you know, not that he was bad. You know, it was a very respectable year, but it wasn't like, you know, he blew guys away. And, I, I mean, I think we're seeing the real McKenzie Gore. Well, and if you ask him, he'll tell you that he's he doesn't think he's throwing the ball well when he goes out there these days. Yeah. I mean, he – Every time he goes out, he's so critical of himself. He knows how good he can be. So the command isn't isn't quite what he wants. So the stuff isn't quite there on the day. And then you talk to the coaches, like, yeah, he had to see stuff, but he still went out there and shoved. Yeah, that debut was see stuff, and he didn't allow a run. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, there's been a lot of speculation on Owen Miller's future. We talked a little bit about players being blocked or you, you keep him in one spot. Um, but he does seem like a pretty versatile guy. Uh, do you see him staying at one position, or do you think he might develop into like a super utility kind of a player? 
Uh, I think it depends on where he winds up because, I mean, I like Owen Miller. And, and like, we split the draft up in half. And Illinois is one of my states, so I knew who he was coming out of Illinois State. But, like, <laughs> I, I really like Owen Miller. But, come on, there's no way he's playing over – is that on your end or my end? I have oh, that's, no, yeah. that's on my end. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's fine. I didn't know if my dogs were, like, rampaging around my house. But um, <laughs> I was just saying, he's, he's not taking third base from Machado. He's not taking shortstop from Tatis. He's probably not taking second base from Urias. And even if he does, I mean, you still have Xavier Edwards and C.J. Abrams to name two guys, you know, there as well. So, I mean, if you stay in San Diego, I think you're looking at a guy who who plays all over the place. Is kind of that, not not even necessarily utility man, but you know, maybe more that offensive, you know, Tony Phillips type who's in the lineup. You know, Mark DeRosa, you know, playing you know four or five different positions to get his bat in the lineup. You know, and those guys are super valuable because what they what they allow you to do is if Tatis is nicked up for a day, you put him at short and you're not really losing too much at short. Or right. you know, put him at second. You're like you you're never you know you don't have like a like a, a guy who can't play defense or a guy who can't hit in your lineup. You know, so that versatility is pretty important. You know, plus, you know, again at some point, you know, I think soon they'll be contending and you're gonna want to make trades and guys like Owen Miller are going to be attractive to other teams. Yeah. He showed us a little bit of that already. I mean, he's kind of bounced around a little bit in the minors, and he's performed everywhere he's gone. He just the guy just flat out hits. And he has professional at bats, you know, and that's the big thing. He's not ever since he was drafted, he just puts together great at bats, and he doesn't give any of those away, and, and it shows. It's, it's we saw shown. that in spring training. In spring training, he was playing with the big league club, and he 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 fit. He looked like he yeah. belonged. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, it's also. I mean, the versatility is not just a special skill being able to hit while shuffling around among different positions is is pretty special as well so um you know he's been very very impressive i it's, i say this about a lot of guys but a lot of guys in the potter system I'm, I'm just very curious to see how these guys wind up say two three years down the line what that roster looks like in san diego yeah well we fast-tracked oh, these guys like munoz and that was a, kind of talking about a young guy worrying about injury was like andres munoz and they asked him to develop that slider. Within a year, he developed that slider. We, I was at the game last night. He hit 102 and then threw an 84-mile-an-hour slider. And people were, you know, major league hitters were just swinging out of their shoes. Um, Brian Weathers is eighth on the list and has continued to have success despite the drop of velocity. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'll be curious to see, you know, what the velocity does next year. I mean, that first year in pro ball is an adjustment for a lot of guys. I mean, you're, you go from high school where you're pitching – for the most part, once a week, you know, for, you know, 12 or 14 weeks, depending on how long your season, the playoffs last to all of a sudden you're pitching every, you know, fifth day for, you know, five, you know, four or five months plus spring training. So, um, you know, I, I guess what's impressed me is that even though the velocity hasn't, you know, blown people away, he's still missing bats. He's still throwing a ton of strikes. Um, I still think it's a really good three pitch mix. Um, I think there's a lot of advanced pitchability there with him. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I'll be interested to see how hard he throws next year after he gets a, a full year of, of pro ball, you know, underneath him and see how he goes into next year. Nice. So we'll get you out of here in a minute. So what other players do you see in the system that, uh, that I'm sure we know plenty about, but, uh, that you guys are excited about? Um, I mean, I think there's, I mean, we hit on, on, you know, a couple of them, you know, Marcano was one, you know, Munoz, I was just going to say, we, we did a TV game in the fall a couple of years ago and he threw, I think he topped a hundred 
And he threw his slider was like 90 miles an hour that night. Yeah. He was 18. He was the youngest guy in the league. And Joe McGrain and I were just looking at him and laughing. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, this kid's 18 years old and it's big league stuff already. And, you know, like you said, if he, you know, stays healthy, you know, I mean, you could have a potential closer there. Um, yeah, and I mean, I, I, you know, they, I'll tell you a guy who I'm curious to see how he does. Um, Hudson Head, you know, was in my half of the draft. It was a guy who kind of burst onto the draft scene this spring and, you know, gets $3 million, which was a, a draft record for the, the third round. Um, but, you know, he's off to a nice start in, in the Arizona League, and, and I'm, curious to see, uh, I'm curious to see how he does. So I've got a question to kind of pull the curtain back a little bit. Uh, I've been impressed. So after the draft, I made a spreadsheet, and I was trying to track how much money the, the Padres had left in their pool and who was signing for what. And between you and Jonathan Mayo, it seems like you guys had the breaking news on every single signing. How do you go about, like, what is your network of connections like to be able to, to, to dig all that information up so quickly? Well, um, it's one of those things that, like, the longer you do this, it kind of, you kind of build on it. But it, it goes back to before we had the bonus pool system, we had an informal slotting system where MLB came up with slots. And they were ridiculous because they were, like, 50% below market value at the top of the draft. They weren't realistic. It was basically... If you wanted to sign right away and get playing, that's what the slot was. And if you were going to sign for over slot, MLB did not want those numbers coming out because they were afraid they were going to affect other guys, which is kind of ludicrous, I think. Yeah. But you, you, so you basically had teams and players, kind of like July two, um, like with these international guys agreeing to, to terms, but like the teams wouldn't announce them until right at the end of the draft. Like the last year, of the old system, I think we had. I, I don't. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I think there was something like 220 million, maybe, in bonuses and major league contracts total. And like 170 or 180 million got announced on the last day, which is just a joke. So anyway, um, when it started, this it really got. They started this like, hey, we're going to clamp down in 2007, where they changed the compensation rules so teams got better compensation if they didn't sign a guy. They instituted a signing deadline, and they were and MLB was convinced signing deadline is going to turn the tide for us. I remember telling somebody that will be, it's not going to do anything. Like agents don't care what the deadline is. They just need a deadline. doesn't matter. Before it was when you went to class, and so some guys wouldn't go to class, and it would extend all the way to May. Um, and I was like, it's not going to change anything, and it didn't. And the first year, nobody signed until like three days before the deadline, and then all hell broke loose. So anyway, in those days, because the numbers weren't being, you know, the p- deals weren't getting announced, is I when I was at Baseball America, I almost became an informal clearinghouse for the numbers, like like wow. and guys knew, like I I didn't set out to be this, but just through the course of doing my job, I'd be like, hey, you know, Dan Vogelbach's getting two million dollars, but like he's not going to sign until day of the deadline or or whatever. So would you and, hear that? Would you hear that from like the area scouts? No, no, the team. Well, the teams back then it was weird because now it's where the teams don't care. No, a lot of it's from the agents. A lot of it's from the agents because they want to know what other guys were getting, and so instead of having like if you're an agent having to get on the phone and call six guys. You could call me, and like I, if I didn't know, I could find out. So I was kind of like one-stop shopping. So anyway, I built up a lot of great relationships with agents. I mean, I had them. So I had been covering the draft for a while anyway. But that like even built up more. And guys, I mean, they knew this anyway. But like it reinforced like if you tell me something and tell me, don't say anything. I'm not going to say anything. Like there's a lot of times, right. even now, where guys will say like after the draft, like some agents will be like, hey, here's what all my guys are getting. But don't run anything till they pass the physical, so we don't have a problem if, if the physical blows up. 
And I don't. I sit on them. And every once in a while, sometimes somebody else will report those numbers before I do. And so be it. I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to honor my my agreement. But I, I'd say a lot of back then in the day, you know, most of it came from agents because the teams were trying to keep the stuff top secret. And I would get my team sources would be very upset with me. Like sometimes when I would report them and they'd be like, you know, yeah, why are you doing that? And I'm like, well, am I wrong? Like, like my job is to report news. I, right. Like if I'm wrong, I, you know, I don't want and I, I don't. I mean, I'm sure I've had a typo here or there, but I never reported a guy who signed who didn't or was off by like seven hundred fifty thousand right. dollars or you know some crazy number. So anyway, long story short, because I had done that, so when they went to this new system, I had all those great relationships with agents, and I also have really good relationships with teams. And now, to be honest, the teams don't care as much because now the bonus pool system, MLB's not yelling at them if they're spending more money than MLB thought they should, like because now everybody has their pools. And so it's easier. And then one thing that makes it a little bit easier is we do every few days get a signings report from MLB that helps fill in. Like, I'm going to be honest, I don't know who the senior sign necessarily has in the eighth round, like whose agent is. Like, and I'm not going to pester the sky director, hey, did you give that guy 5000 or $10,000? So we'll get some of that. Like, every few days, we'll get a signings report that fills in some blanks. Wow. Well, you, God, Jim, thank you so much for coming on and taking the time and uh, just giving us your time and talking about Padres prospects. And we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, oh, no, I enjoyed it. I mean, you guys ask good questions. I love talking about this stuff. Uh, I did. I've always felt like for those of us who do what I do and others do, like where you're ranking prospects, it's always good to explain. I, I feel like you should be able to explain it, you know, what, what you're doing or, you know, what your philosophy is or why you like player A over player B. And, and you know, it, shoot, I mean, you guys know it's fun talking about the Padres system. I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> like I said, I mean, Tatis and Paddock graduate, and they still might be the number two farm system in baseball. Well, and – so to talk about this, the article came out in Baseball America earlier this year, and it talked about how players, like it was on how players negotiate their contracts with with teams, and how teams find out if 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 they're going to sign by exactly how they word it. I can't remember who did that article. We talked about it a couple episodes back, where it was you know if if would you sign for number this number, and if the player said, well, let me think about it, then. You might drop down on the list. You might not get that money. Or if you say, I'm, you know, another word like me, I might do that. Yeah, it's kind of a weird game of poker that they yeah, have to it was play. Really well, it's not article. even poker. It's not even poker, to be honest, because because you have the bonus pools for the draft, it's not just identifying the talent. Like, it's not just, okay, we're going to take C.J. Abrams at six because he's the last guy on the board. You need to know what you're going to sign C.J. Abrams for. So then you know, like, hey, we can go pay Hudson Head $3 million or you know, other teams, you know, depending on how they're moving around. So it's um, it, it's very weird in that the player is, expe- is expected to tell the team exactly what he's willing to sign for. But, you know, we had a kid at my um, at the, the high school my kids all went to here in, in Illinois, Charlie Tilson, who's played in the big leagues. I got to know his dad pretty well, and his dad is a negotiator. And his dad went through this where everybody would come in and ask him, you know, hey, what would Charlie, you know, We'll chart what's what's not even like will you sign for X? It's like what will you sign for? Because hey, if, if you're going to tell them a lower number than they you know are going to ask, then they'll sign you to a lower number. And, and he laughed. And he said, "Yeah." And I said, "Isn't it weird? Like they expect you guys to just tell them exactly what that number." And he's like, "Yeah." And I said, "Do you ever?" Uh, his dad's name is Joe. I said, "Joe, do you ever ask these guys what Charlie's worth? Like turn the times on. Tell, like why don't you guys tell me what he's worth, and I'll tell you full sign for that." And like, oh yeah, I do that all the time. And they're like, oh well, we can't tell you that, but it's. Right. Yeah, that is how it is. I mean, and, I mean, I think now everybody kind of knows how the game works. You don't see too many guys. 
mean, you did see it this year with Matt Allen, the um, the Mets third round pick. He dropped some, but most of the the agents have a very good feel for how the system works. Yeah, and there are sometimes guys get taken without agreeing to a number, but I'd say the vast majority of guys. You know, you, like it, it's not just you, you can't just get the talent right. You have to know, like, okay, are we signing this guy for five point four million or or four point eight million? Because that extra six hundred thousand, we can go get another good player. So yeah, you have to be. You will get asked, and if you are if you hedge or vacillate or hem and haw, a lot of times team a lot of times team will be like, ah, well, we can't take the guy. And there's other times where team will be like, you know what, he's going to sign. We'll just take him and, and we'll figure it out. So before Hudson Head signed for that three million dollar record breaking deal. Uh, a lot of people were looking at um, Maurice Hampton and wondering if the Padres had a chance at signing him. Do you think that they took a shot at Maurice before they shifted back to Hudson, or how did how did that play out? No, I don't. I, I think you would not take Hudson Head in the third round and then take the shot at Maurice Hampton later. You know, taking what would Maurice go in like the twenty fourth round or something? Yeah, he was he was late. He was third day. Yeah, like like he went so late. Like I think what I think what that was was more of a backup plan. Like they they obviously liked the Potters obviously liked Hudson Head more than anybody liked Hudson Head. But the thing you have to remember too is with the way the bonus pools work, you lose if you don't sign a guy. Like let's say they couldn't reach an agreement with Hudson Head, like or they were going to go after Maurice Hampton first, in which case they wouldn't have the money for Hudson Head. You know, Hudson Head's signing bonus value was like seven hundred twenty thousand yeah. dollars. And then they want five percent over their pool, so that's an extra thirty. So that, that would be seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. So if they don't, if they wouldn't sign Maurice Hampton, they could have only offered him two point two five million dollars, and they would have lost seven hundred fifty thousand of their spending power. So no, I think I think what it was is that Maurice was their backup plan. That if for some reason things blew up with Hudson Head, or let's say he fails a physical, and all of a sudden like, oh, okay, well we're not going to sign Hudson, but we got two and a half million dollars or two point two million dollars bring a hole in our pocket, then we'll go sign Maurice Hampton for like 2.5. So I, I think he was just a backup plan. You know, real quick, uh, then that just makes me think of another question here as we keep taking up all your time. We talked to Mason, <laughs> uh, Mason Fioli yesterday, and uh, he was a, he's a pitcher in the for UConn that it was going to be one of the top 50 pitchers. He was offered the free MRI. And- right, right, yeah, he had to do that. So he's like top, I think it's top Hundred or seventy-five. Yeah, I mean, if he was healthy, he goes in the third to fifth round. Yeah, that was and interesting it, hearing his whole story about because he he was pitching all year thinking he was great. Got the email, didn't even read it because he was feeling email. fine. Went out and made a few more starts, and then finally opened the email and realized that there was significant damage to his elbow. It, it yeah, just, on day one, day one of the draft, he opened it up because he got his last outing. Got shelled, gave up back-to-back home runs, gave up like five runs, and he's never done that before. And his arm really didn't feel right. That's when he's like, "I better open up the email." And he calls his <laughs> advisor and says, uh, uh. Like "His whole his whole world got turned upside down." <laughs> All upside down. We yeah, and he got. I mean, he was kind of in a situation where I think he was basically going to get pretty much what the Padres had left over. Like, I think they were willing to give him a little over slot, and you know, but they went out and they, they got you know Bodie Rascone. Uh, you know, about a week before him, they they signed the the Jared Alvarez kid. You know, and and you know, it's he's he was in a situation where he did. It's better for him to sign with the pro team and rehab on the pro team's dime because at this point, if he has surgery, he's not going to pitch next year. And so then you're 22 year old redshirt. You'd be a redshirt senior, and like you have no options. So he like it, it's unfortunate for him that it worked out the way he did. 
but he at least got you know a hundred and you know thirty five thousand dollars. I don't know if he got you know scholarship money for the he probably did for the rest of his college education whenever he had left to finish up. But like he just kind of made the best of a, an unfortunate situation for him. Yeah, well, it was interesting uh, hearing his story. Well, we appreciate you taking the time with us. Uh, this has been fantastic. It's been enlightening. Absolutely. Um, okay, I got just one more. I, I promise <laughs> you. <laughs> You're never coming on again. Hey, so what do you do? And you know, we're a podcast. Do you ever do you ever listen to what do you do like to get away from baseball, or do you listen to podcasts, or, or kind of what do you do to get away from the game? Um. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, like, working from home. <laughs> like you're kind of never away from it because like it might be nine o'clock at night and my I get a text like hey you know like in like I don't think it's gonna be too bad but like we update all our top 30 lists if there's a trade so I'll probably go watch some TV a little bit and when I go upstairs I'll take my phone just in case somebody gets traded I have to go adjust a list but um um the main thing is I've got four kids I mean they're all getting older now I mean my youngest is gonna be 18 in a couple weeks and she's off to college and my oldest is is 24 but um you know, with having four kids and working from home, I, I guess that it takes up a decent amount of my time. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's like, I, I don't know if I ever get away from baseball for long stretches. I mean, I'm not, um, I won't say like I necessarily watch, you know, six hours of baseball every night and listen right. to, you know, four baseball podcasts. But no, there's a, there's a lot of baseball involved. <laughs> so. Well, I've got breaking news for you right now. The Braves have acquired Chris Martin from the Rangers for Col- Colby Allard. How about that? Didn't he, did he sing for Are that one band? Now I'm going to have to put – see, now you got, I'm going to have to go put Cole. Well, this is easy, though. <laughs> it, it, like, I have the Rangers, so like adding a prospect's easy. I just have to kind of update Colby Aller and figure out where he goes on the Rangers list. So that's can, not too – I can like, only imagine the spreadsheets you've got to try to track all this stuff and keep it straight. Well, it, I it's worse when you have the team that makes a blockbuster – and they trade three or four prospects, and then you have to like come up with three or four new reports. So I can, I can put Colby Allard. I will when we get when we get done with the podcast. I will probably get right to work figuring out where Colby Allard fits on my Rangers list. Probably around number twelve or thirteen, I'm guessing, but we will see. Throwing some cold play. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's well, let's singer. let you go get go go get to work. Oh, Chris Martin, I get yeah, it because he's the lead singer. Of oh yeah, I, I didn't know where that was. I, <laughs> okay, I, I get it. <laughs> We both have strange brains where we remember all kinds of random knowledge that has no practical usage. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jim. Have a great day. And we'd love to talk to you in the future. Oh yeah, no problem at all. It's fun. Like I said, you guys asked great questions. It was fun. And, uh, uh, we'll do this again sometime. All right, bud. I appreciate it. Take care. Okay. Thanks.